Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now, your host, Bela Zebra, on The Definitive Rap. Hello, welcome to the Definitive Wrap. I am Bela Seabrow. Thank you to Vin News for hosting our show. There are billions of people living on this earth. Let's imagine what the world would look like if everyone would just love and respect one another. But that cannot seem to be accomplished. We have racism, we have anti-Semitism, and we have the media supporting it. We have high-profile celebrities supporting it. From MSNBC's Merti El-Hassan, who held a panel with anti-Zionist MSNBC commentator Peter Beinart, where Peter accused Israel of being an ethno-state that privileges Jews over Palestine to Kenya West spreading hate. Not only is the issue of anti-Semitism not getting better, but it is getting worse. With us today is Jeffrey Lacks, an attorney, professor, and department chair at CUNY. He has hosted radio shows on 770 WABC, 970, 970 WNYM, and consults on air as a legal analyst for cable news channels such as Newsmax and Newsy. Jeffrey, welcome to the Definitive Wrap. Always good to be here, Vela. Good to see you. Likewise. Jeffrey, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's beginning to feel like anti-Semites are trying to beat each other out on the title of anti-Semite of the year. Is that not a correct assessment? Has anti-Semitism not been normalized? Has it not been mainstreamed? I think it's been uh, exposed. Um, rather than, I actually wouldn't say that it's been growing. I think all the people that were anti-Semitic 10 years ago are still anti-Semitic today. I just think that it's become very sadly mainstreamed. Um, like you said, I, mean, I think you expressed it well, that the media is basically accepting this, if not actually actively fomenting it. Um, when CNN does a documentary on anti-Semitism and they only talk about right-wing anti-Semitism, and, and, you know, I'm a Holocaust grandchild, um, so survivor's grandchild, so, so you don't have to tell me about... Child of Holocaust right... parents. What's that? My parents are Holocaust survivors, so I'm a, I'm a child of Holocaust survivors. So, so you and I understand better than anybody uh, out there what right-wing Nazi anti-Semitism... No one has to tell you and me what that is or how horrific and scary it is. But when you ignore the very real reality that today it's far more frequent on the left... And ignore the left completely. CNN literally said that all the violent anti-Semitism is on the right. Well, that's just a lie. I've seen countless examples just at my own university. On my campus alone, there was a student from Kingsborough who took a bat to an Orthodox Jewish kid, a bat, and yelled, free Palestine. Um, kill, he yelled, kill all the Jews, free Palestine. And CNN ignores that. So was that's he, not... Was he punished for that? Was was he brought to justice for that hate crime? Uh, um, 
Amazingly, Bela, he was arrested and charged with a hate crime, but but CUNY, my president, has said nothing about her own student taking a bat to an Orthodox Jew. Nothing, and I've begged her to talk, speak out about it. She won't. Oh my God! And and, and this is happening in in our day and age. Yes. Yes, and and, and so, so how how is that yeah. different from from? pre-Nazi days. You know, this is how it started. Because this is what I would hear before the Holocaust happened. I would I would hear stories yeah. of Jews in Europe who were beaten. Students were beaten in universities. They were beaten on the way to school, young children on the way to Cheder. What's going and, on? And And for those who are aware of the history, and far too many people are not and should familiar, familiarize themselves, people like Whoopi Goldberg, um, of what, how it all started in Nazi Germany. It started at the universities. It started in the early 30s, in 1933, where there were the first laws that basically, you know, the Nazis, well, sorry, not the Nazis, but Germans at that time were complaining about Jews taking the front seat, front row in classes. And so they started to have rules that banned Jewish students from doing certain things at universities. And then they started getting rid of Jewish professors at German universities. It all started, it's so scary because it all started in just this way in, in Nazi, in the early 30s in, in Germany. That's, that's, that is so unsettling and, and frightening. It is. Because we don't know what the future holds. I think the universe, I've been screaming and yelling about this for six, seven years because all of this starts in the universities. You know, what we see on campuses is really very foreboding of what's going to happen in society at large four, five, six, seven years later. And that's how it's always been. Um, and so, you know, when I started to see things going really south for Jewish people at my campus and throughout CUNY six, seven, eight years ago, I knew it was going I started to really not only be concerned, but start to act on it because I knew it was coming to mainstream America. And Lo and behold, we fast forward six, seven, eight years later, you have this mainstreaming of anti-Semitism. And it's it's really scary. It's 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 but I think we need to look to the universities. And again, you go back to Nazi Germany, it all started at the universities. And this is where because because why? Because the universities happen to attract two things. One is extremist faculty members. And in a way, you know, one part of it is good. We want faculty to do research that is groundbreaking and different and thought provoking right. and makes people think we want critical thinking. We want right. to expose students to a wide variety of views. But what's really happening is that it's only one far element of of those views on the far, far left today. And unfortunately, today, the far left is very much it's almost a requirement that if you're going to be a Democrat running on a progressive agenda, that you hate Israel and that you basically implement anti-Semitic positions in your platform. That's the reality. And I was seeing this many years ago at CUNY, and I knew that it was coming to mainstream. And we saw, by the way, in the Democratic Party, only I think it was four or five years ago, they had the DNC had a had a vote. Um, to make an anti is take an anti-Israel stance within their their mainstream platform, and it just missed passing. I forgot what the vote total was, but when the DNC took a vote on it, basically calling Israel an apartheid state, yeah. 
and and oppressors and all sorts of horrible, you know, settler colonial and all sorts of stuff like that. When you see the Democratic Party mainstreaming this, and even though that vote lost five years ago, it's going to pass. It's going to pass one of these days. And so we see this on the campus, and, and you see all the votes across college campuses. And it started with student groups, but what a lot of people out there don't realize, anytime you see an anti-Semitic stance, anti-Israel, anti-Zionist taken by student groups, it always is backed by faculty members. They are the they're the they are the most cowardly, the leftist progressive anti-Semitic professors are the most cowardly group of people in the world because they take students, they use them, they hide behind them. And they make it look like it's students. Students don't think of these things. Students, you know what students want. Students want to go to school, get their degree, get a job and have exactly. a nice life. Exactly, And then get the heck out of there. Absolutely. But what do you see in the news? You see all these students doing these horribly anti-Semitic things, anti-Zionist things. And people think, well, this is the mainstream student view nowadays. It's not true. Students don't care about this stuff. And students still are you know, primarily pro-Israel, especially in places like New York. But it looks like that they're they hate Israel, they hate Jews, and it's because you have radical faculty members and the unions financially and with resources supporting the faculty members. They're the ones, you know, SJP, Students for Justice in Palestine. That the name of the group of students, but really professors are behind it, and I I know some of those professors, oh so I know how it goes down behind the scenes. Um, but one more thing I want to say about that is. So even though this started um, with student groups, what you're seeing, especially at CUNY right now, is faculty members are taking these formal positions. So at CUNY Law School recently, the faculty unanimously adopted, the faculty, not the students, a BDS resolution. So now you have to ask yourself, when it starts to migrate from students to faculty, what is really happening? Well, you're having policy change at university. So CUNY Law School now has a BDS policy that has been formally adopted by the faculty and which ban- which calls to ban, for example, the Hillel Club. Am- amongst a million other horrible things, it bans Hillel from CUNY Law School, which is discriminatory, which is morally abhorrent and anti-Semitic. And, but that's what's happening. And you're going to see more and more of that as they're emboldened, more and more faculty leaders campus heads um, are going to be doing these things because it's been accepted by the media, by the government. And uh, it's sad. It's scary. Jeffrey, who would you say are the ringleaders of anti-Semitism in the United States? And, and also, who is tolerating the left? The media. I think the media is a total and utter disgrace and they have an agenda and they are i, I think so you media, would say the media you would say the media are the ringleaders of, of anti-semitism i mean I we know think, they're tolerating it that i mean that's that you you know you, you can't not read something and 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 not realize that they're tolerating it but who would you say are the ringleaders when i when when i when i get asked a question like that i think to myself about how pogrom started. So what is a pogrom, right? A lot of people don't really know what is actually a pogrom. So the pogroms that we think of that happened, you know, 100 years ago, um, why did they happen? 
you know, what really were they? Two things were going on there. Number one was that the government had a policy of allowing them and not necessarily calling for them, um, but allowing them, saying, we're going to take a step back. And the way the German police on Kristallnacht said, we're taking the day off, you know, go do what you want to Jewish stores. So they didn't, I don't think they had a formal policy of go attack Jewish stores, but it was certainly encouraged by the actions they failed to take and decided not to take. And and that's how pogrom started. But combined with that is, is how the media handles it. When the media doesn't cover it, to me, that's the same thing as the police taking a step back. Yes. So you have both of those things happening today in our society. The government is taking a step. You won't hear a word um, from so many leaders. And right now, the Democratic Party controls really almost every facet of our government. For sure, in New York, I mean, it's all Democrats. And 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 what and we have we have um, we have an executive order in New York that's not being enforced, an anti-BDS executive order. And CUNY Law School has adopted BDS. That's not even legal in the in the state of New York. So if you ask me that question, who's responsible? I always think about pogroms. How did they start? They started like this. They started with the government saying, "Well, we're not gonna we're not gonna enforce laws that protect Jewish group Jewish people." So right now, even in New York, right, the most dense Jewish population in the world outside of Israel. Even in New York, you have the governor and the state not enforcing their anti-BDS law and not protecting Jews. To me, that's the first step, because their own law school, CUNY Law School, is a government state, city and also really state under the state law school. It's their own law school that has adopted BDS, and the state has not done anything. That is how it starts, is them taking a step back, and then the media not doing anything about yeah. it either. From the media... How often do you hear about, again, CNN did a whole documentary on this, and you didn't hear a word about violent left wing. They actually literally said on their documentary that the violence of anti-Semitism is on the right. It's not true. It's There's a lot of violent anti-Semitism, people yelling, free Palestine, kill the Jews um, on, on the far left. And in New York, you know, I've worked at CUNY since 1999, I think 1999, and then full-time since 2004. In all those years, Bela, I have yet to see a right-wing white supremacist group in New York attacking Jews. I have not seen that. If I would see it, I'd be on the show talking to you about that and would be speaking with just as much vigor about how horrifying it is and how we have to stop it. That's not what's happening. It is far leftist groups. And to me, with regard to anti-Semitism, the only place they both agree, the far left and the far right, is on Jews. The problem with the Jews, the issue of the Jews. And as Karl Marx said, uh, the the Jewish problem, or or I forgot the name of his paper, but something like that, the Jewish problem. You know, it's funny because if you take a Karl Marx paper on the Jews and take out quotes from it, people would think it was Hitler. And a lot of times I do this as an experiment. I'll go on Twitter and I'll post a quote from Karl Marx's essay. Uh, I think it was called On the Jews. Um, and and I'll say, who said this? And people will guess Hitler. And, and no, it was Karl Marx. And the reason is because the far left and the far right, you know, if you put them all in a cocktail party, they'll hate each other. They'll beat each other up. Right. But the one issue they're going to agree on is the Jews. The Jews. And also by not doing anything, by not saying anything, they're in essence condoning it because silence is acquiescence. 
So it, it, they're just as bad. By being silent in the face of evil, those who do that, those who remain silent, are, are just as responsible. Jeffrey, let's talk about CNN. Um, CNN is being criticized for covering up the rise of anti-Semitism. While whitewashing left-wing anti-Semitism and anti-Jewish attacks by other minority groups. So how is it, I know I asked this before, but how is it that in this day and age, are they getting away with it? Nobody's standing up and saying anything. This is CNN. I mean, this is not a mom and pop shop. This is CNN. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, that's that's the first thing. And I nobody's said. standing up to say anything. And yes, I know Jews are, but non-Jews. No one is saying, hey, guys, you're going about this the wrong way. Yeah. You know, Dana Bash did. And I tried to get in touch with them when they did that documentary on anti-Semitism. And I couldn't get a response from them. I didn't I didn't hear anything from them. And, you know, Dana Bash, who's Jewish. Um, and, uh, I believe that she, I believe that she, uh, thinks she's fighting, you know, the fight against anti-Semitism, but they have blinders on as to where the main issue is today. And, and again, there are white supremacists out there. There's no question about it. And we need to condemn them, you know, Fuentes, right? I, I don't support Fuentes and I've spoken no. out against him and his bigoted views um, just as much as, you know, Ilhan Omar. Right. But for some reason, the left want, does tolerate it um, with mainstream within their party. The way they have mainstreamed and lauded Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib is frankly horrifying to a grandchild of Holocaust survivors. Horrifying. Because I know all too well that is how it starts. So it's it's not acceptable. How does CNN get away with it? Un, the unfortunate answer to that is numbers. Jews, and this has been the story since the beginning of time, we've been vastly outnumbered. And look at all the holidays we celebrated that are based on the fact that we were outnumbered, but we <laughs> prevailed anyway. Yes. Right? Yes. Pretty much every holiday is basically that theme, right? We just celebrated Hanukkah, right? Yeah. So what you know? What's the theme of Hanukkah? The the, the Maccabees right. being vastly outnumbered and overcoming it. Right. Um, the Chashmonaim and, and and look at Pesach. Also the same thing. We were slaves and outnumbered, and somehow we escaped. Uh, we, you know, and we came out ahead. We won. We came out. We came out ahead. So you look at virtually, and we you know, celebrate with great meals too. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, my kids don't always agree with that, but yes, um, <laughs> <laughs> they're very picky. But but throughout history, it's been the Jews have had a numbers problem. So you look around the world and you look at the numbers, and we are so vastly outnumbered by Islamists, by the far left who support the Islamists. The far, I'm not talking about good Muslim people, and there are so many millions and millions of incredible Muslim people who oppose anti-Semitism. But the problem is, you know, there are also large numbers who hate Jews, who are, if you go to, yeah. uh, you know, the Palestinian, Palestinian PLO, you go to Hamas, how are all of those kids raised? They're raised to hate Jews. All they know from a young age is to hate Jews. The Jews yes. are the devil and, and evil and all these terrible things. And so if you just look at the numbers alone, so here's the problem in America, Bela. Um, to answer your question, I think more pointedly, 
And this to me is a very scary thing. And and I I will tell you also something very personal. I was never someone who considered Aliyah for a lot of reasons. Um, I spent the year in Israel after high school and I, I have asthma and it was very bad for me there. I had a hard time breathing there because of all the building and the dust in Yerushalayim. Um, and my whole family's here and my job is here and I'm comfortable here. And so I was never someone who considered Aliyah ever. And I'm a little embarrassed about that, actually, because I've always known in the back of my head I should. I'm supposed to. But for me, it was never a reality, never something I considered. But I have to tell you, over the last couple of years, I have started to think about it because, and again, I'm not proud of this. I'm not saying this with pride. I'm actually a little bit embarrassed to admit this. It's because I finally realized only because of outside forces that we don't belong here and they don't want us here. And and it's not safe here. And if you look at the population of New York, and again, New York should be, by all rights, a safe haven for Jewish people. But it's been the opposite in New York. It's been actually one of the most dangerous places in the world. If you look at the stats that were just distributed um, very recently, uh, and Aguda has done a great job of publicizing this recently in a campaign they've been uh, aggressively pursuing, and good for them, because they understand that their yeshivas are under attack, their students are under attack, their rebbeim are under attack, and all of their constituents are under attack. Um, but if you look at the numbers in New York, it is so horrifying how hate crimes are, it's not even close. I think there were 46 hate crimes against Jews over the past two years, and the next nearest group is like nine or something. Right. And And why is that happening? It's happening for a lot of reasons. But if you look at the population uh, in America, the demographics are starting to very quickly change. And Jews at one point uh, represented, in at least in, both in New York and nationally, a certain percentage. But we are going to be vastly outnumbered um, by Muslims within the next, I would say, 20, 30 years. We're already about tied. And if you want to know why the demographics are affecting or how the the representation in government is changing. It's because of the change in population demographics. Jews are leaving and fleeing. A lot of them are going to Israel. And a lot of Muslims are coming in to New York and in America. And again, I want to emphasize, the vast majority of Muslims are amazing people. I can't say that strongly enough. And I and I really respect their religion and their morality and their and a lot of their religious views. But unfortunately, a lot of these Muslims are coming from areas where they're taught anti-Semitism yeah. is just the reality. And they're taught to hate Jews. And so they come here hating Jews. Again, you have that extremist agenda. So a certain percentage, even if you have most of them are great, amazing people who I would have dinner with any time, as long as it's kosher, kosher and halal, right? Right, right. But a lot, but unfortunately, certain percentage is going to be hating Jews coming here. And we see that happening. And so as the Muslim population explodes in America and you have that certain percentage that hates comes here hating Jews, that's how they're you know taught. So that's changing the influence that Jewish people have in government today. And so all of that being said, I hate to say this. I think it's a horrible thing to say and admit, but I think Jews are finished in America. I really do. I think it was a great, I think it was a wonderful, wonderful experiment. I think Jews did phenomenally well here, something to be proud of. But I don't feel safe here. I don't feel yeah. safe in my own workplace. 
And I think it's a bad situation for Jews. And history supports what I'm saying. Has there been a country in the world, in the history of the world, that Jews have not had to flee from? Sadly, yes. Not many. Not many. You can't name too many countries where Jews have not had to flee. And we've seen it in the last 10 years in Europe. Jews fleeing France. Jews fleeing from England. Jews fleeing across Europe and, and a lot of them going to Israel. Yes. Jeffrey, as a Jewish professor at a public university, what is it like for you and your Jewish colleagues? Terrible. Terrible, unless you hate other Jews, unless you are anti-Zionist, hate Israel, support BDS, um, believe in the destruction of the state of Israel. Terrible. Um, There was a study done by the Heritage Foundation about a year or two ago, very important study, which I would urge your listeners to look up where they talked about diversity officers across the country and what percentage of them are anti-Israel. And it was some crazy high percentage. And why do they do this study? Excuse me. Because if you are a victim of discrimination on a campus, whether you're a student or a faculty member, you have to go to the diversity office. That's the only place to go. That's the right place to go. Right. Well, if you're Jewish and you are a Zionist, and you are discriminated against because of that, and you're going to a diversity officer who hates Zionism, who hates Zionists, who hates Israel, who hates the existence of Israel, which I think like 90% of them do, A, you have no chance to prevail in a discrimination claim. B, you might put yourself at risk for some type of discrimination claim against you because you have someone because they're calling us racists you know they call zionists racists and on my campus they chant zionism out of cuny which means me jeff lax out of cuny because i'm a zionist yeah so when you have diversity officers who uphold by the way the best example of all and and this is just nauseating and i know you know this story bela the head of discrimination, the head person at CUNY. And for your listeners who are not familiar with New York or CUNY, CUNY is the largest urban university in the entire country with the largest Jewish population, student population, faculty, I believe, in the entire country. And we have 25 campuses. The person who's in charge of discrimination across all 25 campuses, 250,000 students, is Sally Abed Allah. Who is Sally Abed Allah? She is the former director of CARE Minnesota. CARE. So when the head person at CUNY, right, this is not a student group who is, uh, you know, uh, uh, voting for a BDS resolution. No, 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 no. This is a million times more serious and scary than that. This is the top person at CUNY who, you know, our group, I, I founded a group called Safe CUNY, and I hope people will check us out on Twitter, at Safe CUNY. We exposed that she herself had led a campaign, uh, a BDS campaign, when she was the director of care, which of course she did. She was the director of care. Yeah. And also for listeners who may not be aware of this, care was an unindicted co-conspirator, sorry, an unindicted co-conspirator of the largest terrorism funding um 
criminal case in United States history. They were helping to financially support Hamas. So why, how yeah. does it happen? How does it happen that CUNY, CUNY, New York is 20% Jewish, 20%. How does it happen that at CUNY, you have Sally Abadala, a care director, not just being one campus's investigator. That would be horrible. No, she is the top person in charge of discrimination at CUNY. So what hope do you have if you are a Zionist Jew at CUNY? Zero. And bring a dis- and that and that answers our person. question. Yeah. So that is the state of affair. And, and if you think that's not going to now happen at other camps, if it's happening in New York, where 20% of us are Jews, that's going to happen across, you know, we set the tone. Um, with again, with the largest urban university in the country, it's going to happen elsewhere too. So that's where we are. That's why I say that's something I never thought about before, which is Aliyah. I'm thinking about. It. I have to convince my wife, and I have to make my family upset, and I have to find a job. But I'll tell you something. I'm telling you, I was right five, six years ago when nobody was listening to me because Pete. You know what the problem is, Bela? Jews are too comfortable. Jewish people are way too comfortable. They <laughs> some think are, they are. Some are, yes. I, I don't mean financially. I mean, you know, even middle class, lower middle class people, they have their lives here. They have their family. A lot of Jews live in insular communities. A right. lot of them do. Yes, Where there's true. a lot of Jewish people. And so they are insulated from what people like me are seeing on a daily basis on campuses. And now, unfortunately, out in the streets of New York. And I, I think that's been the problem throughout Einstein. You know, Einstein, of all people, waited too long to get out of Germany, right? Yes. And, you know, I just watched a documentary about him recently, and and he kept waiting and waiting, and he was saying, no, 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 it's, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. We're they didn't okay. want to We're believe okay. it. Jews did not want to believe it. That's why they remained. No. Uh, you know, some, some saw the signs. Some saw the writing on the wall. The, there were those who were smart and left, and, and of the relatives that remained, unfortunately, they perished. Because nobody yeah, wants. I, I think nobody. I think what it comes down to is no one wants to believe that human beings can be so evil, so monstrous. That's what it is. Well, we, yeah, I mean, we I, don't want to I believe that. We want to believe that people are good. But shouldn't Jewish people know better by now? They should. Yes, we should. I mean, if if any group of people has there been a break in anti-Semitism in five thousand years? No. Unfortunately, not. It's it's the one it's the one group that really has never things are better for gay people today, things are improving for trans people today. Yes, things have certainly improved for black people over the past hundreds of years and fifty years and forty years and thirty years. Have things ever gotten better for the Jews? It, it. I mean, listen, I'm not arguing that it's a worse time than the actual Holocaust. That's that's absurd, and would be deeply offensive to to ever say something like that. That. But we're we're only talking about tros, you know, tr- uh, uh, valleys, uh, mountains, and valleys in terms of how much of it is actually being implemented and how badly. But it's always been an undercurrent, right? Hatred of Jews has always been there. And what's amazing about about that is, with all other groups, you have a certain faction who hates them. With Jews, it's a rainbow of factions hate Jews. For all different, for, from all different perspectives, from all different walks of life. Again, far left to far right, the one thing they agree on is Zionists need to die. 
Zionists need to be eliminated. Right? Why is that? I mean, I think it's because God wanted it that way. This is this was part of how you know he wants the Jews to constantly have strife. And 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 maybe it's to send messages to people like me that you're too comfortable, you know, and, and, and that's how I feel. I feel like I I, I listen, I, I'm not well, rich, it's never too a, late. You can still make Aliyah. <laughs> I, it's it's an uphill battle, but I, I would tell you that if I if I could do it, I would do it. I, I because I, I again my my message to your listeners is go outside your insulation, right? Look outside, really take a look one day. Talk to people who are going onto campuses. Talk to people who are going into Manhattan on a daily basis. Talk to people who are going into communities that are not Jewish. And ask them what the view is towards Zionist Jews, Orthodox Jews, all sorts of Jewish groups. Ask them what they're seeing. I I spoke to a friend of mine. I'm not going to say his name, but I spoke to a relatively high-profile friend of mine uh, in the community a few months ago. And he works in Manhattan. And because of COVID, he's able to do a lot of his work from home nowadays. And he says, you know what, as much as I'd like to get out of my house, Occasionally, after all this COVID, um, all the restrictions, I don't. And I said, why? I was actually shocked to hear that. I thought he would say, oh, yeah, I want to go back to my job. He said, the streets are not safe for Jews. That's what he said. And this is not a weak person. This is someone that's strong, that has very strong held beliefs. And he said he doesn't feel it's safe for Jews anymore just to walk the streets of Manhattan in the area that he worked. That's where we are. Yeah. Jeffrey, how are visibly Jewish students being treated on campus, um, particularly by professors, um, on a day-to-day basis? Um, it's interesting because I think I get a perspective that in some ways I'm fortunate, in some ways it's you know so deeply painful. But because my story has been covered, people come to me sometimes on my campus, students. Right. And so students have come to me and have told me terrible stories. Um, I had one student come to me and tell me that um, he was in a class and a, a an extremist radical professor was his professor and that she was doing an event on free speech and she invited him to the event. And this, this student was Jewish and wears a yarmulke. And he shows up to this event and she asked him to speak about his views at the event. And so he started speaking and she started tearing him down. And, you know, his attitude was, well, why, you know, why did you invite me here to speak if you're just going to constantly attack me and not let me speak? And she said to him, well, you have white privilege. And if you just took off your yarmulke, you would just be like any other white nationalist person. Wow. That's what she said to him. And so when a professor, oh, and she said to him, you have the power you know, not me. And she's the professor. She gives him a grade. She held this event. He was right. a guest at her event. Um, a and she teamed up with another professor, by the way. It was two professors and a student. This is someone um who went in good faith to talk about his views on free speech. And she said he has no right to speak because he's like any other white uh person if he just oh took off his yarmulke. And so think to yourself, if a professor actually is emboldened enough to say that and get away with it, which she did. Oh, well, we know they're getting away with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
how many people are also thinking that way, but careful not to say it? And I, and I, I would, you know, I would argue that unfortunately, it's a lot of faculty on campuses. So I think that, and I've have I have a lot of other examples like that, but that's one that stood out to me when you first asked the question. That's the first one that came to mind. I and and I'll and I'll say one other thing. Um, and again, this is so scary. I teach in Brooklyn, so. Brooklyn College, which is down the road from our campus, Brooklyn College, historically, I mean, Brooklyn, Brooklyn is almost 25% Jewish. Yes. Right. And Brooklyn is, if it was a city, it'd be one of the biggest cities in America. And I get calls every semester from parents who ask me, is it safe to send my, my Jewish, you know, kids to Brooklyn College? And we're hearing stories from across faculty members parents are really calling you asking you that my gosh oh all the time all all the time i get calls all the time is it safe to send my kids to cuny but especially brooklyn college brooklyn college has been one of the hotbeds at cuny of anti-semitism and the head of the union of brooklyn college sorry the head of the union of cuny who is a b who's a vocal bds voter and supporter is a is a faculty member at at brooklyn college so that gives you an idea of what's going on there and so if you go to Queens College, that Queens College is one of the few safe havens that remain, I would argue, possibly the only safe haven that remains for Jewish people at CUNY. Um, what faculty members at Queens College are telling me is that students from Brooklyn are coming to Queens College, Jewish students, which makes no sense. They live in Brooklyn. Brooklyn College is a great school. I went to Brooklyn College. It was a different world then. So you have parents fleeing Brooklyn to send their kids to a different CUNY school because they don't feel it's safe for Jews at Brooklyn College. That is insane. That is crazy. And that that's is very scary. sad. That's very and sad. That's what I'm, and that's what I'm talking about. And a lot of students are not going to CUNY anymore, Jewish students. And I'm hearing those stories, too. People who are going to Yeshiva University or oh, yeah. Turo, mm-hmm. who would yeah. have normally gone to CUNY and gotten a great tuition savings. They're not doing that anymore because they don't feel it's safe. And I hear this all the time. I would say it's one of the most common things I hear, actually. And uh, for someone who was a CUNY person, I grew up, I went to CUNY for, for college. I went there for grad school. I've taught there for over 20 years. It's actually um, deeply, deeply sad for me, not only as a Jewish person, also as someone who really believed in the public education system and the public university system. Uh, here in New York. So it's it's devastating. Is it true that there have been more than 150 anti-Semitic incidents reported at on CUNY campuses since 2015? Well, I, I, I'm not in charge of tracking them. The, I, I've seen those numbers. Um, that Was that put out by the ADL? Yeah, it was. Was that AMCA? Yeah. Was that AMCA or the, okay. Uh, I've seen those numbers. It doesn't surprise me. I mean, because I know personally, the fact that I personally know of so many incidents, you have Blake Zavatsky, who, what what a proud Jew, what a a mensch and a a really courageous Jewish student he was at CUNY. He, He was wearing an IDF sweatshirt, and he got attacked on the streets of Brooklyn, um, punched, and stood up for himself, and 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 so I know about that incident. And Ina Vernikoff did a great job, and and Dove Hyken did a great job with him and helping him. And eventually, the kid who attacked him was, I believe, charged with a hate crime. Um, you have the student at my campus that I told you about who attacked an Orthodox Jew with a bat. 
Um, and there are so many, uh, there's so many other situations that I've heard of. So does that shock me? No, I wish I could say it did shock me. It doesn't shock me. That's the reality. So other than the ADL, um, who are the Jewish groups that are fighting anti-Semitism? Uh, see, I'm, you're, make, you're asking me questions that make me think how I want to address this because I'm upset with the ADL. The ADL was once a, a, an unbelievable representative for Jewish rights in the community. And they have become too, how do I say this diplomatically, too political. Now, I have my own political views, and I think I've sort of hinted very strongly at them in this interview. But, and I will say this privately, I will say this to my wife at home, I will say this to my children, I will say this to my parents, anti-Semitism is not political. It's not. Of course not. So, um, so if it's okay, not the I, ADL, if you don't think the ADL is um, fighting anti-Semitism, then who is? So I, I have. Let me tell you a little story, okay, with with the ADL, because this is what I was this is what I was thinking about. Should I really tell this story? I, I, I'm going to tell it in a careful way. We love way, stories okay? here at the Definitive Rap because I think the ADL is important. Okay, I want to be clear about that. There is, the ADL does a lot of good things. They do. Um, but I think they, like some other Jewish groups too, are very concerned about raising money, which I understand. You're trying to raise money for what you believe in, a good cause. Um, and they're very interested in politics and they're very interested in the groups that fund them, the big, you know, the big companies, you know, Silicon Valley, obviously governmental leaders. And so I think the problem is today, not just with the ADL, but with some other Jewish organizations too, is that they want to maintain their power. They want to maintain their status in the community. And so and so the ADL will take a lot of money from Kyrie Irving, who's a disgusting anti-Semite and shares anti-Semitic movies um, on the internet, and that kind of covers him. Uh, you know, and and so I think the ADL does too much of that. They'll take money and they'll they'll help to cover anti-Semites like Kyrie Irving. Um, but I'll tell you something that really upset me. I had a conversation with someone at the ADL that really, really, I think, puts the things in perspective. The first thing I said to him was, I don't believe anti-Semitism is political, which I thought was one of the most neutral non-controversial statements I ever could make to start a conversation. And it's also your I, opinion. Yeah, I, I thought I was saying something that we're going to have common ground, we're going to go from there. Yeah. He was angry. He was angry. And I was shocked. I, I saw his face. His face was very frustrated and angry. I said, what What did I say? Did, did I actually misspeak? And then I, th I said, no, I didn't misspeak. I said, anti-Semitism is not political to me. And he said, no. Said, no. All the evidence shows that the anti-Semitism, the violence is on the far right. It's on the right. I don't even think he said far right. I think he said on the right. Really? And I said, I said, I said, do you have data that shows that? Because if he that's true, that. wow. I'll be right with you. I said, I said, if that's true, <sighs> I'm with you. Do you have data? He said, yeah. I was shocked because I have never seen Bela in my life. And I've looked for this. 
data that shows what percent of violent anti-Semitic incidents are from the far right, right? That data does not exist. So, but I asked him, I, I, I thought to myself, it was a genuine question. It wasn't, right. I wasn't being facetious. Um, I said, if that data exists, can you share that with me? And then he paused for like three seconds and he said, well, the evidence does exist because by, because by far and away, the more people who own guns in America are right-wing extremists. And I said, what does that have to do with my question? Of course. I said, my question was not how many people own guns. My question was not even how many right-wing gun incidents are there. My question was, what percent of violent crimes taking place against Jewish people right. are from the far right? And then he and then he became very uncomfortable. He, tried, he changed the topic. Of course. So when you have a conversation like that, well, you that got your answer so, right there. That you got he your answered answer, your question. He did answer but it's your question. So demoralizing, Bela, yeah. because it tells you what is his agenda: one political, two anti-Semitism. And that's not what what it should be. That's not what the ADL should be. So that really disappointed me because regardless of my politics, if there was more, if New York right now, there was a problem with right-wing violence against Jews, I would be the first one in line fighting it stronger than anyone, yeah. stronger than anything. Yeah. Not anyone, anything. Right. Right, right. But that's not the reality. And, and, and they lie. They actually lie about the data, which doesn't exist. There is no data like that. No, no I and certainly haven't way, seen anything. There no data and, I, like and, that? and I would love to see it if it does exist. But why it doesn't, is there so no data like that, Bailey? You know why? Because it's probably not true. D do you really think there are more right-wing groups? in America? This is not the 1930s. This is 2023 now, right? That's right. It's changed. The violence against Jews has changed to different groups committing the violence. We know now, for example, the data I think you were referring to showed that most violence against Jews, unfortunately, is coming from black people today. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's not white supremacists. It's the so, other so minority lying, groups. And so I think yeah. that's a disservice to the Jewish. I think it's a horrible disservice. Because I think you have to ignore politics and just look on the ground and see and say to yourself and to everyone, who is hurting Jews and why? If you're not honest about that, you're helping anti-Semitism. That's how I see it. That's right. So we're going back to also silence is acquiescence. Even those, it's not just the people who are attacking Jews, but those who remain silent in the face of that evil. Jeffrey, thank you for joining us today on The Definitive Wrap. It was truly a pleasure having you and um, giving us your, your insight that we so desperately need. Thank you to Vinus and to our audience for tuning in. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your host, Bela Seabrow. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can catch The Definitive Wrap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Wrap.